What They Don't Tell You brings you real conversations about wealth management that real people have behind closed doors. We bring together clients and experts to talk about topics that go beyond the numbers. Did you know that 60% of business owners want to transition in the next five years, yet 80% of them don't have a plan? In this episode, we uncover the value of starting the succession process sooner rather than later. Business advisor Greg Becker walks you through the various steps on how to avoid crashing your exit strategy and how to secure a successful future for yourself and the next generation of your business. Hello, everyone. Thanks again for joining us today. We're joined today by Greg Becker from Predictable Futures. Greg works with business owners of small to large-sized corporations and helping them prepare for business succession and transition conversations. So, Greg, thanks very much for joining us. Good to be here. Greg, you and I were chatting earlier, and I understand that uh, something like 60% of privately owned businesses are looking to transition in the next five years, but 80% of them don't have a plan to do that. Yeah. How does that strike you? Well, I mean, the 60% makes sense because you just think of the demographic shift of the boomers retiring and all of that. So, you know, there's no big surprise there. And actually, for me, the 80% isn't surprising either because we talk to business owners all the time who definitely have thought about succession. It's not that it's not top of mind uh, and probably increasingly as they age, but that they don't have a formal plan. That's probably consistent with what we experience. Um, They may have a loose idea. They may have done some of the work. Um, but they probably haven't got all the details thought through, some of which they might not even know what those details are, and you don't know until you bump into them. Secondly, if they do have a lot of it worked out, they may or may not have communicated it well to all the people, the stakeholders that it affects. So, you know, to me, that's not really a fully thought through plan and can create problems for sure. So when you sit down with somebody that they're confident they have a plan, they're ready to go, yeah. Where do you start in that conversation? What, what would you say to them? Well, we usually go through about you know three or five questions uh, that will just uh, test their readiness and, and what, in fact, they have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we start to sense any weakness or holes or gaps, then we just go deeper on the conversation. You had mentioned previously something about a crash test. How does that impact a conversation that you're going to have with Generation 1 and Generation 2? Yeah, a lot of times when we want uh, families to grapple with what the issues are that they need to fill in in terms of their transition planning. Uh, we will do a what we call a crash test. We'll have the family assembled in a boardroom at a predetermined signal. The parents or the owners of the business will step out of the room, closing the door behind them. And they actually don't know what this is about either. Um, and when the door closes, everyone else is kind of looking on going, what's going on? Because it's just weird. It's an unusual dynamic. But then we simply turn to them and say, you know, we regret to tell you that today your parents or whatever it was were killed at a railway crossing. And they understand that it's a construct and that it's artificial because they just watch them walk out the room. But you'd be amazed at how it sucks the air in the room as they begin to start to think about what does that mean for them. Um, and the questions start to come. And if they don't, we always we can prime the pump and we can ask them questions. And they quickly begin to understand the areas where they either don't have the information or there hasn't been a decision made or there's things that are in place that need to get uh, changed or whatever it is. Then, of course, we resurrect the parents, uh, bring them back in, and then they can face the family or the extended group to say, okay, what do we need to talk about and figure out Mm -hmm. to really make sure this plan is robust and can do the job that it needs to do? When you remove the parents and all of a sudden it's up to the rest of the family to decide how things are going to go forward, you must learn a lot about the family dynamics at that point in time. 
Yeah, you know, one of the things, the individual interviews that we do help us understand the issues. So we're rarely surprised at the issues, but what we don't know is how they behave as a family in those kinds of situations. And so, for instance, you can just imagine, I remember this one woman who uh, all of a sudden she just took control and I didn't expect that, but she was clearly the leader in the family. And so she said, well, guys, what do we need about, do you know about this? And I'm watching her. She was amazing, by the way. She was awesome. And, uh, but I would have never known that, that she had that key role to play in the, from a leadership inside the family. Mm-hmm. What should be the end result of a crash test? You have a natural leader that perhaps steps up. Uh, we know the parents are gone. Now what? Well, the biggest thing is, as I say, to expose those areas of planning that maybe have either not been thought through or not been executed or have not been communicated. And so we, we can make a list of those things. And if they haven't been done or they're not done well, we can make sure they do get done. If they have been done, then we can make sure that everybody understands them so that uh, there's not a fear or concern uh, and people know you can sleep at night knowing that everything is handled. Sure. So what's it look like when that process is rushed? I imagine you must run into clients that come to you and they want to they transition the next six months, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah, they, they want to crash. Hence mm-hmm. the term crash. They want to crash it through uh, because they're very focused on the transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, pardon me, the transaction. They're very focused on getting that shareholder agreement done, getting the shares transferred, getting the sale done so they can get some money off the table. And those are important things. We always get that, of course. But the problem is, is that if you rush through that relational stuff, the scars and the, um, the impacts on those relationships are long lasting. And if you crash it through and say, well, great, I got, you know, my job's done. I've given my son or daughter the shares and now they're leading the company. If they aren't ready mm-hmm. and you are uh, dependent on that person running that company well, and your retirement actually depends on getting the dollars out of your business and they crash your, your business or sub-optimize it, your retirement can be at risk. So moving through it too swiftly is not uh, in anyone's best interest. Usually you have to go uh, a little slower at the front end to go faster at the back end. You had mentioned um, you know, wanting to understand their goals and, and wanting to define what those goals look like. How do you do that? What's that process? Yeah, well, we, it's a several-stage process. Uh, when, you know, when you say to somebody, well, what are your goals for the next mm-hmm. five years? Chances are they may not have thought that through. Like a lot of people just don't. So the first step is that we will do that individually. And we will uh, do that with them and we'll help them with the question and they'll think it through and they'll answer. And that might take quite a while in the, in the thing. And then they go away, of course, and they think about it some more. Maybe they talk about it with their partner or whatever. And it begins to develop more in their mind. The next, so that's the second step. But then when we get them together as a family and they share with, it, with all of their goals so they can each hear what each other's goals are about, um, they articulate it to everybody else. And that's another way of sharpening their own focus. Um, and by then they will be ready for the question. They'll have a much better answer for it. And then even, you know, quite frankly, we, our goals change over time anyway. So they continue to refine it as they move forward. So it sounds like maybe going through a financial planning process at the beginning before they engage or at the same time they're engaging with yourself would be beneficial. That would be a great thing to do, you know, because, uh, that covers off a lot of the financial, but even some of the non-financial questions that they have to resolve. And the broader that those questions can be, uh, the better. You know, if you just think of someone who's thir- in their early 30s and the parents want them to take over the business, that has huge implications for their family life or for whatever their their situation might be in terms of the financial impacts of that, but also in terms of where they're going to live, what they're going to be doing. If they're going to be working in the business, that means they're not going to be doing some other job. Um, so working through those questions and helping them land it 
And for someone who might be in their 20s, late 20s, early 30s, those questions are often still being gelled. They haven't quite necessarily nailed all those things down. So those are significant life decisions that we're asking them to make and commit to. Um, so you can't rush that. Yeah, absolutely. We've discussed a little bit about the, the emotional side, getting to know the people in the family, kind of who's in control, who's a natural leader and, and, and whatnot. We're starting to talk a little bit more now about some of the functional aspects. What would you say some of the biggest obstacles that you see as a consultant in terms of the functional planning of the transition from generation one to generation two, or even from you know a, a generation one to a non-arm's length, arm's length party? Yeah. When you say functional, I just want to make sure I understand what you mean by that. What, can you clarify? Yeah. So, so, you know, making sure that you have the right leadership structure in place or making sure that you have, okay. um, you know, the right key employees that are going to stick around after the transition takes place. Right. You know, how does the business operate once, um, you know, generation one has moved on? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing I like to point out to founders, uh, and this is sometimes hard for them to hear, but the next 20 years won't be like the last 20 years. <laughs> And so whatever you did really well, which by the way, you did do really well, that's why you have such a great company, is probably not going to necessarily get you where you need to be. And you'll need a different leader because there's different challenges. Um, and you might need all kinds of other differences in the business structurally, um, skill sets, financial capacity, there's all sorts of things that have to be considered. For them as the owner, very hard for them to think it through. They, they've never had to live that. Um, they could imagine that, but I can tell you the next generation is thinking very much about those very topics, and uh, they may have a bit of a different dream about where that business will go as well. So the first thing is to talk about the goals, then to say, okay, if that's the goal, what do we need to put in place, and how can we help you get there? Sure. So what does that conversation look like? We have Generation 2 that has a different idea of where it should go versus Generation 1 who's created it, you know, built the company, and although they're transitioning, they still want to have a hand on the steering wheel. Yeah. And, you know, and it's a both and because, in fact, you do want to maintain the wisdom and all the experience of those people who built the business. And a lot of the next gen really want to respect and honor their family and their parents who've done a great job. Um, so that's super important. And we, we always try and preserve that. Um, but we also try and open their minds to what might be needed. It might be different kind of training than their parents ever had. Uh, but it's needed. Um, just you think about something as simple as the, the technology requirements of a business today versus 20 years ago. Um, the other thing that we've often put in place is advisory boards, which um, most private companies don't want to go to a fiduciary board. They don't want to lose any control. But an advisory board is a great way for parents moving out of leadership to move into an oversight role where they're still engaged. They're still able to watch over their investment, to provide input on a strategic level, to ask questions, to, to stay close to it without being involved in the day-to-day, which is helpful to them so they can actually retire. But it's also helpful to the next generation. So mom and dad don't have their fingers in the business and it's constantly being meddled with. Uh, so an advisory board can often be a helpful way to uh, create some separation between the founder and the business at the same time, bringing in external advisors who have wisdom and experience outside the business, outside the bubble that they can bring to bear. You had used the term fiduciary board versus advisory board. Could mm-hmm. you kind of explain a little bit? Absolutely, the yeah. Um, there are basically two types of boards. One is fiduciary, which means they have a legal obligation representing the shareholders to make decisions on behalf of the company. So they actually have a legal responsibility, obligation, uh, and right to make decisions on behalf of the company or on behalf of the shareholders 
for the company. So they can literally tell management what to do. An advisory board is just that. There is no legal right nor obligation, but they can provide wisdom and experience and they can have input to decisions that the company is going to make. So the shareholder maintains all control uh, and final uh, decision-making ability, but they get the advantage of those third-party advisors who uh, can help them make good decisions. And the funny thing is, is my experience with those board members, whether they be fiduciary or advisory, is they actually don't behave differently in a board meeting. They take their responsibility just as seriously, even if they're advisory. At the end of the day, they don't make the decision, but they will be crystal clear in terms of what they think should happen. Does a, does a board create an additional expense? Is that something that business owners should be thinking about? Uh, it does. I mean, there's certainly an annual expense for hiring those bo- uh, board members. Say there's two external board members. Um, but I always say to them, let's think about what that total expense is. And, you know, usually it is a mic- micron on their bottom line. It's really not material, but it feels like it because these are entrepreneurs. They spent their whole life building wealth. Uh, nickels and dimes matter. Mm-hmm. So if there's not value, they would be very quick to say, we don't need that, especially because it also adds time and, and so on. So what I do is I say to them, well, if you could spend 98% of your time working in the business and 2% of your time working on the business, does that seem like a good trade-off? And they go, well, yeah, that's a really good thing. You know, 98%, 99%, because that's roughly about the amount of time that they would give to a board. And the amount of cost is much less than 1%. Great analogy. That makes yeah. sense. Well, it just helps create some sense of scale to what the the investment is. But honestly, most businesses, if you think about making a bad decision, um, you can blow the amount, you know, tens of thousands of dollars easy with one bad decision. You can also sub-optimize on a decision that could have been much more productive for your company. Why not invest it to minimize those bad decisions and maximize the good options? So it's really a risk management and optimization question. At CWB Wealth Management, we often meet business owners, uh, sometimes daily, that when we ask them about their business succession plans, they don't want to get into it. it. It feels like they're stuck. I'm sure you must run into that all the time. Yeah, yeah, we do, of course. And there's so many ways. They probably don't think of being stuck, but practically they are. Uh, they might, uh, for instance, uh, have have pieces of their plan that they just keep thinking, oh, well, I'll get to that. But they never do. Mm-hmm. Or they may have difficult conversations that have to be had to in order to actually execute on that plan. And they don't want to have that conversation, so they kick the can down the road. Uh, or they may even have difficulties within the family. Like they might not yet know what their kids are going to, how they're going to develop and what their kids want to do. Or they may have a disagreement with their partner in terms of who should lead the business next and all. Or should they even keep it within the family and try, try and sell it to a third party? So there's a lot of reasons, but the key is to get at those very reasons. The very thing that's causing them to be stuck or to not move ahead are the very things that probably will have the greatest value if they can actually get those things resolved and have a peace of mind and a sense of process and a map going forward. Greg, you had mentioned before that uh, often like the vast majority of the people you work with are owner-operators. And when an owner-operator transitions out of the company, what does that do to their their identity of who they are? That must make it uh, seem like a mountain to overcome. Yeah, you know, that is very true. And everyone focuses on the departure of the leader because there's a leadership question within the company and there's a void and that does have to get figured out. A lot of attention gets focused there, rightfully so. But almost nobody thinks about the other side, which is the day you walk out of that business that has been creating that sense of uh, purpose for you every day, your identity, a place to even just go, 
Um, what happens next? And in fact, that's something that will keep some founders from moving forward because they don't know either. Um, they're pretty sure their spouse doesn't want them in the kitchen all day, uh, but they don't necessarily know what else that they could do with their life. Um, you know, you can only play so much golf, you can only do so many recreational things. And so they haven't figured that out. And that takes time. That's, again, another reason to move sooner rather than later on thinking through that uh, process so that they can begin to get a sense of path forward. Greg, I wonder, uh, what else uh, should family businesses and, and the key leadership within those organizations, what should they be aware of when they approach the transition topic? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot is the value that you want out of the business and how you want it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're selling to a third party, the way to build the value up so that you can maximize that value on sale, which goes directly to your retirement or to your family, uh, can take some time. So what do we need to do to make sure that you can maximize that value? If it's staying inside the company, maybe that's a lesser amount. In fact, from a taxation point of view, maybe you want to minimize the value mm-hmm. of that. Um, but uh, that can take a long time uh, a long time in terms of the leadership development. And what about your role after the uh, sale and what will happen? Are you going to be involved at a board level? Are you going to just go and enjoy retirement? Or what's your, are you going to be another uh, serial entrepreneur and have another business? And to think through those kinds of things, because depending on what your answer is to those questions, you might approach your transition and the process differently. We've had a great discussion today. And I'm wondering if we were to just wrap this up and say, uh, how would you answer this question? Greg, what do they not tell you about business succession planning? Yeah, I think a lot of clients won't tell you the, the thing that really keeps them awake at night, the thing that gnaws at their soul, that uh, it's just hard to talk about, the very difficult emotional issues that they even have a hard time sometimes conceptualizing or, or getting a clarity on. Um, those are the things that they don't know how to resolve themselves. And as capable, uh, effective, uh, successful leaders, it's hard to say that or to talk to anyone about. So they will not tell you necessarily that I don't know what to, where to go from here. That's a hard place for a leader to admit to be. Absolutely. Thanks very much for your time today, Greg. Really appreciate the insight and answers. You're welcome. And thank you very much for joining us today. We hope you'll join us again next time.